1: All right, so welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts.
2: I'm Christiana Reed.
0: I'm Jessica Miller. And I'm Taylor Thomas.
2: Okay, guys, so we've gotten lots of feedback on our time ins and time outs episode, which is great, but we have some points of clarification. We do want you to know that, yeah, some things in the episode are a little bit harsh and a little bit black and white. So we're going to record a second episode to help you guys understand how to integrate it with other parenting skills too, because it's not just as simple as Oh, I sit with my kid, they regulate, and then everything is hunky-dory. So we really are going to help you understand how to use consequences, what to do when you get to your red zone, and how to help that kid calm down without going nuts. Stay tuned. That's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks, so we'll have some good information for you.
1: And we all have parenting fails, so we get
2: that it's not... And a timeout is not a big deal. So don't worry about it. If you're like, we've been doing timeout for the last 10 years, that's totally fine. I think all three of us hosts grew up with timeouts and we're all fine.
1: And we put out a poll on our Instagram to see what you guys wanted us to record this week. Our Instagram, if you don't follow us on there, it's at ThoughtsPod. And we just post on there when we have uploaded a new episode And also just some different tools and things. So if that interests you, you can look it up. But we did a poll on there to see what you guys wanted us to record this week. And Solving Unsolvable Problems in Marriage 1.
0: Yes. So we are going to be talking about solving unsolvable problems in marriage or also known as gridlock. So gridlock is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's when you feel like you're in in an impossible situation and you don't really know how to get out of it with your partner. And we did reference marriage in the Instagram, but this isn't just for the married couple. These are for committed partners, um, if you're dating or anybody that's in a committed relationship.
2: Right. Or family members, friends that you're really close with. Yes. Probably not going to run into it with just like the store clerk at the store, but. <laughs> Hopefully you're not running into it with a store clerk, because if you <laughs> are,
0: we should probably talk about some other thing. Gridlock happens all the time. So it's just a good thing to try to understand it. Basically. All of our information today is coming from, we referenced it last time, the book. It's called The Seven Principles for Making a Marriage Work by Dr. John Gottman. It's one of my favorite marriage resources. So if you don't have it, you can order it on Amazon. It's not just a book. There's lots of exercises that you can do in it. So it also kind of acts as a resource or or exercise guide. So what is gridlock? She wants a baby and you're not ready. Or she wants you to attend church and you're an atheist. Or he's a homebody and you love parties. So just situations where you just think there's like no answer here. Like you want a baby and I don't. Or you want to go
1: to church and I don't. So like um, every character or every couple in Grey's Anatomy. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So much
2: good luck there.
1: I know. <laughs> Grace just has so many tasty
0: like relationship examples in there
2: <laughs> tasty i don't know
0: why i said tasty i kind of regret that, but. I like
1: that. <laughs> if only they could read some dr john gottman i know but it then would the just, show wouldn't be interesting it would
0: be good they'd all be healthy and happy and functional and who wants to that's watch not that, dark yeah. and twisty yeah no thank you so yeah there's that is gridlock so every marriage has similar conflicts um but you can cope with them even if they seem impossible when you're talking about gridlock, the first step in it is to nurture your emotional connection with your partner. So, in order to work out any gridlock topic, you have to be emotionally connected. And this means liking each other. Like, you have to care enough to try to solve the problem, pretty much. And so, really, if you're having a gridlock topic, the first thing to do is to step back and try to connect emotionally. And so, You know, what does it mean being emotionally connected? It's difficult to work out any disagreement if you're not feeling close to one another. And so you have to care about the other person's feelings in order to move forward. Because being disconnected or distant or resentful can make this whole process really challenging. So some people view disagreements as winning or losing or being right or wrong. And so the first step in this is to move away from that mindset
2: because yeah that's like what I had with the shame yes in the last episode where I'd be like my purpose is to attack Elliot right now to make him <laughs> lose rather than to like actually talk or communicate yes because <laughs> that shame brings that up so you kind of have to let go of it right mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Precisely, and so, and that I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. Well, it's just how
0: we're kind of taught in society and culture, and pretty much our entire lives. Everything is viewed through the lens of winning or losing, and that's where we get a lot of our shame from. So it is a task to try to, to try to turn away from that perspective. So something that I always tell my clients and that I tell myself constantly is a line from the one of my favorite books, *Silver Linings Playbook* by Matthew Quick. And the main character in that book is working with his therapist. And he says a line that I think is really profound. He says, I'm working on being kind instead of right. And so that is oh, something yeah. that I think about all the time in my marriage is, am I, is my objective to be kind right now or is it my objective to be right Because if I'm trying to be right, I will step all over this person in order to obtain that objective. But if I'm thinking about being kind, I'm going to step back and think about them and consider their feelings. Channel that character and try to be kind. So if our first step is to nurture and be emotionally connected, we can talk about some ways on how to do that. Like, what does that look like? So some things that Dr. Gottman talks about in his book is, one, you can reminisce about how you started dating how you met. You can talk about your wedding day, fun experiences, becoming parents, and this is called nurturing fondness and admiration. And he actually uh, dedicates a whole chapter in his book to nurturing fondness and admiration. But that's one way that you can connect. Logan and I do this. I feel like constantly when we feel ourselves like kind of starting to backslide and not feeling connected, or we're getting short with each other. Some of, or one of us will be like, Hey, remember that one time? And we'll bring up like an absurd experience that we had together that neither of us can help but laugh at. You know, we'll talk about when we met, or, you know, when we were on our honeymoon and (laughs) we were in Kauai and, you know, everything's blissful and Logan's like wanting to. Like fly across the jungle on this vine, mm-hmm. and so he tries. It. <laughs> he tries. He like flies out going. of this tree on this vine, and it snaps because it's not a movie and it's not meant it's not to tartan. sustain the weight of a man. And he just falls right on his bum, and it is just the funniest thing that both of us can't help but laugh at. So. You can kind of bring in a reminiscent experience that both of you have a fond experience with, or you can try to do something outside of your comfort zone together. That's a good way to nurture your fondness and admiration coming together. Um, For example, like two years ago, Logan signed us up for a painting class. Like neither of us are creatively inclined, like in the least, but he signed us up for painting class. We showed up at night, they had appetizers and they taught us how to like paint this scene. And it's cool to do something that's outside of your comfort zone because then you see your partner in a different capacity and you see them doing different things and trying different things and being vulnerable. So that can be cool. And a couple other ideas are laughing together. It's always a good idea to laugh, doing anything that makes you laugh. And then going on dates and discussing things other than housekeeping, other than like your schedules and the kids and work and what needs to be done.
2: So So Fancy saying (laughs) schedule. Wow. Where are you from? (laughs) What, Taylor? (laughs) Mystery.
1: (laughs) I've
2: been watching a lot
0: of Peppa Pig. So She says schedule, (laughs) but I'm not going to
2: talk in a British accent because... Oh, we wish you would. It
0: ain't good over here. So anyways, that's the step one. So when you have a gridlock issue, the first step is to come together and connect emotionally. And the next step is understanding gridlock. So the first thing to understand is that you are not there to solve the problem. You're there to understand its cause. And I know that that's kind of backwards because you're like, no, I want to fix this. Like, tell me how to fix this. But the thing in therapy is you go to therapy and you want your therapist to fix your problems. But we never fix anybody's problems. We help you understand them or look at them in a new way so they don't seem as problematic. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just kind of what therapy is. (laughs) So, you have to understand its cause in order to approach the problem. So understanding and that just is basically what's the root of the problem and some counselors call this realizing dreams and most dreams are seeded in your childhood. So dreams within a relationship. So for an example. And I'm going to try to use a lot of examples because some of this stuff can kind of get convoluted sometimes. But an example is sitting down for a family meal every night and you have one person that might long to recreate this in their new family or in their new marriage because it made them feel special or secure. Like, I love mm-hmm. Sunday dinners. It makes me feel so special and happy and safe. And then the other person might resist family meals. Um If it was a setting for them in their childhood of hostility where their parents would fight. So when you're having that conflict, all you're hearing is, I don't want to sit down for dinner. I don't like it. The other person is like, I want to sit down for dinner. I like it. So you're like, what do we do? But the moment that you step back and you start to understand what's going on underneath that, you can have compassion for the other person. So common deep dreams for couples. And so when we talk about dreams, it's just beliefs that we have or things that we want for ourselves. And so Dr. Gottman, he has a list of common dreams. I'm just going to read a couple of them. Some dreams are a sense of freedom, uh, unity with nature, exploring who I am, adventure, justice, honor, knowing my family, uh, being able to relax, reflecting on my life, travel. You know, just some things that. We want for ourselves and we want for
2: our lives. So I feel get- like this also like relates to those attachment things. When we talked about the attachment relationships where if I'm more avoidant, but still like connected to my spouse, I'm going to really value freedom. Whereas my anxious spouse is really going to value time together and that kind of thing. And so it's our dream and it's not necessarily bad, but it's going to cause conflict between the two of you. Right. Right. Yes, that's a perfect connection to attachment. And like we said earlier, most of these
0: dreams are seeded in our childhood. Because we are creatures of our environment, we pull so much from our families of origin. So it really helps to try to understand your own dreams. And there are exercises in this book where you can explore your dreams and identify them for you and your spouse, which is helpful. So I just wanted to read a quick example from the book. And I like his examples from the book because I just think... Obviously, they fit so well. His example is a couple may think that they are at loggerheads over whether or not to go out to dinner every Sunday night. But the bottom line issue has to do with something much deeper than a restaurant meal. Sunday night holds a special place in both their hearts stemming from their childhoods like we talked about. Her dream is to eat out because her family did that every Sunday, a treat that made her feel special. But for her husband, a restaurant meal was always much less of a treat than having a very busy mother cook for the family, something she only did on Sundays. So the question of the restaurant versus a home meal is really symbolic of what makes each of them feel loved. So when the couple is fighting over a meal, what they're really fighting over is they just want to feel loved and they want the other person to respect the fact that they want to feel loved. So if you never get down to that issue, you're just fighting about food, which makes you feel really frustrated and really gridlocked when really food doesn't even matter. It's not about food. Mm -hmm. So this is just trying to help you get down to the thing or get down to the topics that do matter. So happy couples strive to know and understand each other's dreams and support them. So when either spouse doesn't fully appreciate the importance of supporting his or her partner's dreams, gridlock is inevitable. I'll just give you an example from my marriage. Um, and this is another thing where there's solvable problems and perpetual problems in marriage, and perpetual ones are the ones that you fight about kind of over and over and over again. They just you keep try and up. fight a little better yes. over time. Yeah, exactly. You're fighting, you try to improve your fighting. So mm-hmm. one that Logan and I have struggled with for oh my gosh, years, years is the fact that I believe he's a bad driver and he doesn't believe he's a bad driver. (laughs) And I've, I've gotten his permission to share this because I feel like he's like, everybody already knows this anyways. We always fight about this. So basically he'd be driving like a crazy person according to me. And in his mind, he's like, I'm just trying to get somewhere on time. And so we had to figure out what we were really fighting about because we weren't fighting about driving. Like we just weren't, we weren't fighting about driving, we were fighting about something deeper. And you always know it's something deeper when it hurts really bad, and when it seems very important to you. So when there's a seed underneath, you feel that fire in you and you're like, this is big, this is big, why don't you understand this? And it's because they don't know the information. So for me, Logan and I had to figure out our dreams. And for me, my anxiety and fear of him being a quote unquote bad driver came from the fact that my brother died in a car accident when he was 16. And I was 14 and it broke apart our family and it was because somebody was driving recklessly and they hit a van and it killed my brother and one of his best friends and forever Mm -hmm. changed my life. So that's where I was coming from was you're driving recklessly and you could possibly cause the same pain that I felt and I want to do anything not to feel that kind of pain again. Mm-hmm. And for Logan, his the reason why he drove the way he did was because he values efficiency and punctuality very, very much. And so he likes to get places on time. He likes to be punctual. He likes to be efficient in the things that he does. It's just a part of who he is and what he values. And so how did we solve this problem? Is he a perfect driver now or am I okay with him being a quote unquote crazy driver? How did we solve this? And the fact is we didn't solve anything. We just strove to understand the cause of it. So now that I understand that he values efficiency and punctuality, I can have compassion for that and understand that. So instead of being late leaving when we're leaving for a family function, I work really hard to get myself ready and to get the kids ready so we have a big enough time buffer for travel that we can take our time. And right. Logan understands how nervous I get in the car if he drives recklessly. So he takes more time and more care to be protective of me and our children and the people that were are around.
2: Right, that makes- So it's really understanding each other's motivation has given you a lot more compassion and love. And that's where you'll see if you've cultivated that love, like with those strategies that we've talked about, then you really can say, I'm willing to put aside my needs for them and they're going to do the same for you. So it's not like, oh, we compromised and I just drive crazy and Taylor knows that I'm just not going to hurt anyone. But it's yeah. no, I understand that Taylor's compromising this way and I'm going to compromise this way.
0: Yeah, exactly. And see, and that's the thing when we go back to, you know, because a lot of people ask marriage questions and they're like, so who, how do we figure out who's right or who's wrong? We need to compromise. And yeah, I mean, if you looked at our situation, we could view that as a compromise. Absolutely. But when we take it out of the lens of winning or losing, we see it as being kind and compassionate, like Jessica mentioned. When you bring compassion into a marriage, it's so much easier to be kind and there are times when we're not being kind or compassionate or understanding the cause. There are still times when we leave late and then he drives crazy and I get mad at him for driving crazy. and He gets mad at me for being late. But we have to go back yeah. and reconnect. Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's like why. having that conversation a few times. Oh, yeah. Not right. Just once. Over and over again. Over and, and re- reconnecting over yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Because there's so much going on in a relationship. It's hard for us always to remember the root of everything that's coming up. So we have to remind each other. I have to be like, I'm feeling really triggered right now because of that last traffic maneuver. And it made me feel really nervous. And he's like, oh yes, triggers, nervous, the accident. Okay. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on board now. Mm -hmm. Like he can get with me there. So we're just going to go ahead and read a case study so you guys can better understand gridlock situations.
1: All right. So we're going to talk about Catherine and Jeff. So they were happily married until Catherine became pregnant. Suddenly, it seemed to Jeff, her Catholic faith took on a much more central role in her life. He himself was an agnostic. When he found out that she had been talking with her father about having the baby baptized, he was a livid. He did not want his child to have any kind of formal religious instruction. So by the time Catherine and Jeff discussed this conflict in my lab, they had clearly become gridlocked. I could tell that their marriage was in serious danger because they were emotionally distant from each other. Even while discussing the highly personal issues of faith and family, they didn't raise their voices, cry, smile, or touch each other. They were able to talk intellectually about their difference of opinion, but they were emotionally disengaged. And since their problem was really an emotional one, concerning their feelings about families, parenthood, and religion, no amount of careful intellectual analysis would be able to resolve it. At their next session, I suggested that instead of trying to solve the issue, they they should just listen to each other talk about what religion symbolized to them. This was the only way to get to the hidden dreams that were fueling the conflict. Catherine went first. She described how her beliefs had carried her through very hard times. Her parents went through a rancorous divorce. For 10 years, her father had no contact with the family. Her mother became so depressed that Catherine couldn't depend on her. She felt completely unloved and alone until she turned to the church, which embraced her. Not only did she feel a kinship with her fellow worshippers, but she felt comforted by prayer. When all the chips were down, feeling God's love brought her deep comfort. Catherine started crying as she remembered those hard times and the solace she found in religion. Jeff explained that he had been an agnostic his entire life. In contrast to Catherine's dysfunctional family, he was very strong and loving. When he went through hard times, he always turned to his parents. He wanted his child to feel the same trust in him and Catherine. He feared that if their son was indoctrinated into the church, this would interfere with that bond. The child would be trained to turn to God instead of his parents. Jeff and Catherine had opposing dreams. He envisioned them as a happy family that would supply all the love and support their children needed. He saw religion as a threat to their deep connection. Catherine viewed religion as a vital support system that she wanted to ensure was there for her children. Once these dreams were discussed openly, the mood in the room changed dramatically. Jeff told Catherine that he loved her. It finally sank into him that her desire to baptize their baby came out of her deep love for their child, for his child. He realized it made perfect sense that out of this love she would want to protect the baby from ever feeling the pain she had experienced. This helped him reconnect with his own deep feelings for Catherine, which had gotten buried under all of the bitterness and anger. In the first session, no emotion had passed between the couple, but this time you could see the compassion on Jeff's face as he listened to his wife recount her childhood. When she cried, he handed her tissues and encouraged her to keep talking. Catherine listened just as intensely to his side of the story. Now that the real issues were out in the open, they were able to talk about how they could raise their son in a way that honored both their visions. Jeff told her he wouldn't oppose the baptism. He himself would always be agnostic, but it was okay with him if the child received rudimentary training in Catholicism. However, he still opposed intensive religious study because he feared the church might oppose ideas on the child. Catherine was able to accept his compromise."
0: And the thing that I really like about this case study is it kind of goes through the things that we've already talked about when he describes the couple in the beginning, you know, he talks about and as therapists, we do this all the time, you know, you assess people's body language and their tone of voice. And especially in marriage therapy, I mean, two people come in and the first thing I notice is where they're sitting. Are they sitting close to each other? Are they sitting far away from each other? Are they sitting on different couches? You know, like that's one of the ways that you can assess their emotional climate when they first come in. So he describes it as cold and analytical. They weren't even yelling or crying when they were talking about things that were so important, like family and religion and parenting, which are huge hot button topics in any relationship. And then as we go on. And as they start to open up, you see something really beautiful happen when they, when he asks them, what's the root, what's really going on? And they start to describe it. I just see, especially when they're listening to Catherine's story about how her family in a way kind of failed her. Like there was nobody really there for her mm-hmm. and she was alone, you know, as a child, she was alone and that's devastating. And then in my mind, I can see Jeff seeing Catherine as a young child. And sometimes that's all the other person needs to do is see us in a vulnerable, innocent state where we can see that person as a child and really love them in a different way. So instead of seeing Catherine as his wife who's making his life hard and not compromising and not being kind and this cold, hard woman, he's seeing her as a child again, which then opens his mind and opens his heart to love her in a different way, which is really cool. And then you see it happen With Catherine, I can imagine that when they're having this gridlock issue in the beginning, Catherine's like, why wouldn't you want this for our kid? Why don't you love our kid enough to help them be baptized? Like all these assumptions. But then when she recognizes that all he wants is to be there for his child, to be the one person that their child can turn to and always depend on, then instead of seeing this guy that's being difficult and hard and maybe cruel She sees him as a loving father that only wants to love their unborn child. And so when you can see that person and their root and their emotional state, it's so much easier to come together. And then he describes their next interaction where he says he handed her a tissue. And that might seem very rudimental, but at the same time. He wasn't even sitting closer. He wasn't showing her any t- sort of affection. And now he hands her a tissue because he's showing her that he cares that she's upset. And so it's just mm-hmm. the stepping stone. So he nurtures their fondness and admiration. He discovers the root. and then they build a compassionate arrangement, if you could imagine. And I bet they will have many, many, discussions about this in the future
2: yes when lots they, of times
0: yeah so this isn't just like a one-stop shop thing or yeah we figured out what we want to do i mean i imagine as the child gets older and they experience a lot of other road bumps that they'll figure it out but if they can tap back into that root and see each other in that emotional state then they can love each other and they can come together So yeah, the first step is to identify which dreams or dream is fueling the conflict. And in order to do this, you have to create a safe space. So for them in this situation, they were in Dr. Gottman's lab with a mediator and a therapist talking and you can do that. Or you can refer back to our podcast. We talked about communication, kind of talked about how couples can create that safe space between you so you can have Mm -hmm. these conversations. So now that we've kind of identified a couple of things to figure out gridlock, what can you do? If you do get the Gottman book, there is an exercise packet in there and it helps you discover dreams and basically it has all these case studies, these very short case studies, and then you read them and then you and your spouse both come up with stories for why that person might be feeling that way. So you take Logan and my driving situation, we're having this gridlock and then if you didn't know us, you'd say, well, maybe she had trauma with that or maybe he has this reason. So you come up with reasons why people could be feeling the way that they are And then you talk about how they can overcome it. You can work on exploring or detecting dreams without focusing on your marriage. So kind of the worst time to have this conversation is when you're having a big gridlocked issue. The best time is to do it when things are good. And so you can talk about dreams with your partner when, you know, things are going fine and try to understand them and discover what things are important to them, what principles they hold in their life that make them them. And this allows you to practice identifying your dreams and putting your head in the right headspace. So those are just a couple things you can do to start identifying dreams and overcoming gridlock. I love
2: it. Me and Elliot are going to go over all our dreams tonight. I
0: know. It seems so (laughs) funny when you say it like that. But when you really start to think about the things that are important to you, they just affect our lives and our relationships so much. Because... That's where we're coming from.
2: Yeah. So do you have suggestions on like, so let's say tonight I'm like, hey, Elliot, let's figure out what some of our deep dreams are, especially as we're preparing to become parents soon and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like what questions would you recommend for starting that conversation? Oh, I definitely recommend talking about your childhoods. Logan and I find ourselves doing that all the
0: time. Whenever an issue comes up with Scout or Boone, um, like maybe education-wise, we're teaching Scout how to read. The other day, Logan said, hey, what was it like in your home? Like, did you read with your parents? Did you read books? Was that like a priority? And then we both take turns and we talk about our childhoods and maybe, you know, what our parents had time for, what they emphasized and what they didn't emphasize. And so... We talk about that and then I say, you know, I really loved the way that this went down in my family and I would really want to integrate that. And that's a great opportunity for Logan to be like, you know, that doesn't really jive with what I want or maybe that does. Yes, we're on the same page. Let's go with that. So I always encourage people to talk about talk about their childhoods, talk about the relationships with their siblings, talk about the priorities of their parents, talk about traumatic events, just anything that could influence you as a married person or as a parent.
1: I really like that idea because I guess that's something I haven't really thought about before. Like there's just, that's the cool thing about a long-term relationship is that there's still so much to learn about each other, even though you may feel like, oh, we've already talked about that once. Well, let's talk about it again because maybe there would be like new insights or things you remember. Like this person lived however many years without you in their life. And it's just kind of fun to hear about specific things like that like I wouldn't really think to ask that like what was reading like in your house when you asked that question like I have a lot I could actually
2: say about that you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I can also see this yeah I can also see this being super helpful with that transition as you become an adult and you're connecting with your parents on a different level Mm -hmm. because oftentimes as we're adults we have more conflict with our parents because we start to realize like oh my mom isn't perfect my dad isn't perfect and then but you're both coming with these dreams Mm -hmm. I feel like that would also be a really good way to be like we're having this argument okay let's dig down a little bit deeper with our parents and see what dreams am I connecting to what dream is she connecting to so that we can have a lot more empathy for each other even in that relationship you can do it with so many people it's just understanding their history yeah and then having compassion for where they are coming from
1: all right so a couple of takeaways from today so number one work on cultivating some of that fondness and admiration in your relationship this week So maybe ask your spouse what their favorite memory is from your relationship and then you can share a favorite memory with them and just do some of that reminiscing together. And then the second one would be to share your dreams. So maybe talk to your spouse about, you know, a dream they have from childhood and share a dream that you have and help each other kind of connect to maybe what's going on with you now because of those dreams. Thanks for tuning in this week and next week we are going to be sharing that parenting episode that we kind of mentioned in the beginning. So stay tuned for that and please send us any questions you may have. We've been really excited that people have been sending us topics to record on and we promise we will get to them.
2: Gotta go, buffalo. Ciao, brown cow.
1: See you soon, big baboon.
0: Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search ThoughtsPod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vryich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.
1: <laughs> Bluebirds. bears. <laughs> when I if I talk about Gandalf's horse. Oh shadow. Oh shadow. F- you, F- oh, shadow F- yeah, Shadowfax. F- F- like.
2: I want a new phone for Christmas. Ugh I I want
1: that one for Christmas. <laughs>
2: Yesterday was the anniversary of our glow stick dance.